Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how we doing? You staying warm? Uh, yeah, it is above freezing now, I believe. Hopefully I won't have to clear any more snow off in my backyard. I, I told you for Christmas, I got a speed training system for golf and it kind of gives you like deadlines as to when you need to do all these things. And yesterday <laughs> was one of my days, so I had to go outside and I've got some turf on the south side of our yard and I got a big rake out and I raked out some, uh, some turf out of the snow and, and, and got it in. So I'll, I'll look forward to days when the sun is shining and I'm not having to get snow out of my way to go outside. I mean, it felt downright balmy this morning at 23 degrees when I got in my car. It uh, felt warm by comparison to the five, six, seven degree weather we've had. So it's been pretty frigid, uh, no golf as of yet, but it is basketball season, Colby. And of course, Oklahoma State hosting Kansas and Stillwater last night. Um, before we get into that, we'll talk about that. We'll have a little bit of notes on football as well, but let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. The university spirit is very low right now in terms of basketball, uh, at least on the men's side. There's a lot of optimism with the women's. Uh, saw J.C. Hoyt's got her Cowgirls era t-shirt out there, so be sure to stop by Chris's and pick up all your OSU apparel-related needs. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast, as always. Uh, Colby? I don't really think it behooves us or our audience to kind of break down the game between Oklahoma State and Kansas. I think people saw it for what it was, another blowout. That's four straight blowout losses. But I really think this last you know four games is a tipping point, not only for Mike Boynton, but for the OSU basketball program at large. I think you know there's certain times where it just becomes obvious that a move needs to be made. And look – we can talk, we can throw out all the normal caveats we have about Mike Boynton, what a great guy he is, and we've done that. Everyone's done that since he's been there, and I think that's a testament to what a great guy he is, the fact that that's even still the caveat talking point you throw out before discussing wins and losses on a basketball court because that's what this is about. Like, this isn't the nice guy business. This is big, multi-million dollar business. Mike Boynton's been paying millions of dollars to coach basketball, he sure has had a lot of obstacles with the NCAA and, and everything that's gone on. But at the end of the day, he's not getting the job done. The, 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 the excuses are gone. And the fact they are by far the worst team in the Big 12, combined with a lot of other issues, Colby, is I think a real tipping point for, for OSU basketball fans and for Chad Weiberg, the, uh, the athletic director. I really do. Yeah, I think you're right. I initially was supposed to be at that game last night. My parents were out of town. My sister had asked me to go, told her I'd, I'd love to. We went to the OSU-Kansas game a few years ago when Cade was in town, and I got the big emotional win on the Rondell Walker play at the end. That was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to going. Uh, but toddler gymnastics started last night, and thank the Lord for toddler gymnastics because that was a blast, and it saved me from having to sit through what took place in Stillwater last night. And Again, you, you threw out all the caveats. I love Mike Boynton. I was messaging on Twitter back and forth this morning with one of our listeners about Mike Boynton, and it's pretty much come to this. I will root for him wherever he goes, but it's becoming more and more apparent that he's going to have to go because 
Like you said, this is a wins and losses business. This is the Big 12. There were, what, three other games last night in the Big 12. Two of them went to overtime. The other one was close. Um, So many teams in this conference are playing good basketball. Eight teams in the top 25. The teams that are outside the top 25 are good. Cincinnati is good. UCF beat Kansas. Like, this is really good basketball being played all over the conference. And Oklahoma State has a chance to get a big win against Baylor, and they make disaster plays at the end of the game and lose it. And then you just get drummed by 17, 24, and then 24. Um, and, and yes, a, a, again, there are kind of built-in excuses that you can throw out if you want to. Travel to Texas Tech, disaster. You fly in the day of the game, you get to the arena a couple hours before, and you get throttled. Iowa State, you can barely get there. I mean, I, I honestly didn't know if they were going to be able to play the game. You go, <laughs> you go from Stillwater to Oklahoma City. That plane can't take off. You go to Norman. They get there. It's zero degrees. They got to the arena like two hours before tip. The game kept getting backed up. Um, but the reality is the product on the court is just not good enough right now. That game last night. Um I mean, that was downright embarrassing. And I know Kansas is one of the best teams in the country, but they jumped out to such an early lead. Uh, the game was pretty much played at a 20-point spread throughout. And at this point, Oklahoma State basketball is officially broken. Isaiah Miranda now, seven foot one, 220-pound, uh, hoped he was going to be a solid contributor for Oklahoma State this season coming in as an NC State transfer. He is now no longer with the team after playing only, what, two or three games, I believe it was. So it's just... Everything that could go wrong for Oklahoma State basketball has gone wrong for Oklahoma State basketball. Uh, and sometimes, no matter how, long, how much you love the guy who's there and, and how much you believe in his overall message and everything, sometimes things go bad and you need a reset. And things have gone bad for Oklahoma State basketball. And I think that they're inching ever closer to a reset. I think, like you said, this, this four-game stretch has been a tipping point. Because the Baylor game, despite it being close, it's a game you should have won and you lost it because of unforced errors that your team made down the stretch. That falls on the, the, the shoulders of the head coach. And then you just get absolutely drummed three games in a row. The conference schedule is not getting any easier the rest of the way. I can't imagine this team has a ton of confidence. Uh, defense has been a staple under Mike Boynton's tenure at Oklahoma State. This team is terrible defensively. They're getting outscored by more than 21 points per game per game in the paint in conference play. Um, they gave up 90 to Tech. They gave up 90 to Kansas. Like, this team is an abomination defensively, and uh, only 11 scholarship players out of the possible 13 available due to NCAA reasons and then I Isaiah Miranda's departure. Everything has just gone wrong, and Oklahoma State basketball, Carson, I, I think is at a point where it just needs a reset. Uh, we can root for Mike Boynton wherever he goes, but I, I think that the um, – Mike Boynton era at Oklahoma State is is nearing an abrupt end at the end of the season, if if I had to guess. Yeah, it's it's dropped to a level that I I think frankly didn't expect. And really kind of just throughout the Boynton era, you're just you've been kind of waiting. It's it's year seven now, and you just be kind of waiting to see when all of this talent that he recruits will pay off. I mean, this team has a lot of four and five star talent on it. But uh, I thought it was a really interesting thread from from Brian Keating, sports director at Channel Five, my former colleague. Uh, Brian needs to tweet more because when he tweets, he he brings he brings some heat. Uh, he was tweeting about Mike Boynton, and they're now zero and four. Uh, that's three zero and four starts in Big Twelve play in the last seven seasons under Boynton. Um, let's see here. Uh, this would be they're likely to be under five hundred and are likely assured of a losing season, which would be their second under Boynton, but only the third in the last thirty seven years. That'd be their third losing season in the last thirty seven years. Uh, 
two of the O and four starts in Big 12 play since Travis Ford. Um, Travis Ford started conference play O and three or O and four. Neither, uh, or sorry, Travis Ford never started conference play 0 and 3 or 0 and 4. Neither did Sean Sutton. Paul Hansen was 0 and 3 in 85 to 86, the season he was fired. Leonard Hamilton started 0 and 3 twice his first season and his fourth season when he was not retained. So those are some, some really sharp trend lines for you know starting 0 and 4 in conference play. And again, just Colby, this would be the third losing season in 37 years, and that is to like having said all of that. It is important to note, you know, I, I tweeted last night, I have nothing to offer on OSU basketball. I'm holding a silent vigil for a once proud program. And when I wrote that, I was like, well, once was, we're, we're getting up on 20 years ago, was OSU a proud program? It depends on where you delineate it. I kind of put that, that 04 final four run as like the peak. 05, I believe they went to the sweet 16. Um, after that, when the Sean Sutton era started, that's when you saw, started to see the precipitous decline that it's now hit rock bottom. They're now the worst program in the Big 12. So it's kind of hard to to hold Mike Boynton to a standard that hasn't existed for 20 years on one hand. But on the other, OSU has to get back to that. Like They're too good of a program. They have too good of a building. They have too much invested in this fancy locker room they have. And again, I just I asked the question, Colby, could they hire a new coach that would do worse than this? Would here's an even crazier question. And I don't mean to rile people up, but I, but after the whole Doug Gottlieb controversy, would Doug Gottlieb be have have a worse record than what Mike Boynton's record has been the last two three years or seven years? However, however far you want to go, I I question that. I'm not advocating they hire Doug Gottlieb. I think that ship has sailed. Go out and hire the best coach you can find. But that just kind of shows you how bad the results have been. Uh, yeah, they have been. I think it's interesting that you bring up Travis Ford because I think that there are some parallels here. Travis Ford was an incredibly nice guy. Everyone loved Travis Ford. I think I've told the story on this podcast before that um, I was doing a, a project when I was like a sophomore in college and I was walking through the student union. I was doing it on the basketball team and I just saw Travis Ford walking. So I walked up to him with my phone, asked him if I could ask a few questions. And he stood there for like 10 minutes and talked to me. Didn't know who I was. Didn't know what I was doing. I was a student. <laughs> This wasn't getting published anywhere, and he just stopped in the student union, talked to me for like 10 minutes, just the absolute nicest guy. But what happened was when Travis Ford was there, they had some good years. They had Marcus Smart, LeBron Nash, Markel Brown, these guys, NBA talent. And Travis Ford eventually, and, and make sure I'm not doing any re revisionist history here, Travis Ford ended up being forced out of Oklahoma State because being a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 program was not good enough. That was the standard. In the early 2010s, into the teens, being a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 program was not good enough, so Travis Ford had to leave so Oklahoma State could reset. And, and that's no revisionist history there, right? No, none. Yeah, so that that's, that's a middle-of-the-pack program 10 years ago. So now fast-forward 10 years to what is looking like um, the end of the Mike Boynton era. This is no longer a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 program. This is, as you said, the worst program in the Big 12 right now in 2024. There's probably not a worse team in the Big 12 than Oklahoma State. So at, at this point, yes, he is the nicest guy, and we will root for him. But this is not the standard at Oklahoma State. And and the 10-year the leaps 
from twenty from two thousand four, when you're one of the best programs in the entire country, and Boone Pickens Stadium is a legitimately terrifying not Boone Pickens Stadium Gallagher Iba Arena is a legitimately terrifying place for opposing teams to come in and play. Then you fast forward ten years, you've got smart in those guys, but it's not good enough. You're making the tournament, but you're not winning any games. You're middle of the pack Big Twelve program. That's not good enough. You fast forward another ten years, and you've just gone the opposite direction. I I don't know what the exact right hire is. Somebody asked if we can break down um, potential coaching hire candidates. That's probably something we'll do later in the season as we see how things play out more um, with other programs as well, right? Some mid-major coaches, see what happens in the tournament, things of that nature. So I'm sure at some point we will break all that down on this podcast. But right now I think we're just looking at a program that over the last 20 years has gone through these phases from one of the best programs in the country and feared arena, the worst program in the Big 12, and you're going to have a really hard time getting people to drive from Tulsa and Oklahoma City to Stillwater to sit in GIA and watch this team play. Absolutely. I mean, you and I could not be more different on Travis Ford. I, I couldn't stand the guy. Um, he was his first ever availability I was at. It was at his camp. Uh, I don't need to go into all the details, but it, it was not uh, it was not the best public relations, I'll say. I, I do think he got better with that. He, I think he bought into Stillwater. That was not the case early on. The the one thing that bothered me the most about Travis Ford is is the opposite of Mike Boynton. I mean, I remember Kyle Porter started pistols firing in like 2011, and I wanted Ford gone then uh, because you could just tell like the coaching acumen wasn't there. But more than anything, it was every press conference turned into an excuse fest. I mean, it was like it was like watching a politician up there blame everyone but himself. Um, every factor but himself, and I just I got so tired of that. And Mike Boynton's the opposite. Um, he 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 takes responsibility. He says all the right things. That's why everybody likes the guy so much. He's just a clearly a forthright person. Um, so, but the difference is Travis Ford won more. He uh he got to the tournament. Uh, he won a game in the, in the first round. I mean, I know I know Boynton did with Cade Cunningham, but the results just haven't been there. And um. That's the one thing that's different about Mike is he says all the right things, as, whereas I just couldn't stand listening to Travis Ford make up excuse after excuse after excuse. Um, I do think he, again, I do think he bought in and did all the things he could to try to drum up fan interest. It just it just didn't happen for him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I you see, it's kind of sad, Colby. You see this picture of Sam Presti sitting in Gallagher-Iba Arena. And I just thought to myself, you know, Thunder had been here about 15 years. Like, he has never seen what that building can really be like. Like he has never been there for that 04 team where the entire, like all the way to the very last row in Gallagher Iba is full 15 minutes for tip off. Like he's never gotten to see that. And like, I know he's there to scout Kansas, but, and I, I do respect him for being such a basketball freak to do that on, on a, on a late night week, a weekday. It's just, it, it kind of hit me Colby, how long it's been for everyone seeing a Sam Presti in Gallagher Iba mostly empty for a program that's been pretty much not competitive in, in terms of with the Kansas of the world uh just it kind of hit me that this is where the program has been for a long time and it's it's where it currently is it's getting worse it's just um for someone like me who grew up going to old Gallagher Iba with my dad season ticket holder we were three or four rows from the very top of old Gallagher which was a which was we thought was high up there, but then when they rebuilt it, it was a great seat. To go through all those years at Old Gallagher that were incredible, 
to be a student for that 04 final four run beyond was out of this, out of this world. Um, like some of my fa- my favorite memories are in Gallagher that are not in Boone Pickens stadium. They're just not like, I, that's how I grew up. And to, to see what it is now is just, it's, it's beyond sad. It's, um, it's hard to make a comparison as to what it what it feels like when you walk into that building now, but just it's almost like you wish you could take someone back in time, show them what it was, then show them what it is now, and more people would want change at the head coaching position. And that's kind of where I come from. So people may view me being too harsh on Mike Boyden given the NCAA standards that have or crimes, frankly, that the NCAA has instilled upon OSU basketball. But that's where I come from. That's the I've seen the full potential of this basketball program, much like all the all, all the old timers that are there and still going to games. Um, it's 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 time they hire a coach that can go win and win big because it's it's clear to me that Mike Boyden simply cannot. No, you're absolutely right. And and the I mean, it's hard to say the death of GIA because we don't know what the future of college basketball holds, and we don't know what the future of college basketball holds at Oklahoma State. But it's hard to imagine a scenario in which it gets back to that 2004 atmosphere. I remember I was 11 years old when Oklahoma state went on that final four run and we got to go to one game that year. And I'm pretty sure um, this is off the dome and I've slept since then. I think it was against Northeastern state in the non-conference because those are the tickets that we could get. We were sitting basically against the back wall, um, walked down. I I remember this game. Yeah. Walked down like middle of the first half or something, got an autograph from Eddie Sutton, but Walk like the maze of people that we had to get through to walk down, to get around to where Eddie was at, to get an autograph. Like, um, it was just an absolute madhouse. And and that's still a memory that I have from when I was 11 years old. And now as, as I have a daughter, um, and she's walking around the house and she's just learning how to talk and she sees pistol Pete all over the house. And she said, pizza, pizza. And she gets so excited. And, and I think about it and I'm like, Am I ever going to get to take her to a game at Gallagher-Iba Arena that feels like that? Like, am I ever going to get to take her to a game at Gallagher that will be a memory for her 20 years later when she's an adult and she has a kid? Um, and I just don't know that I will. And and like you said, it just it is very sad because Gallagher was a special, special thing when I was a kid. And now it's it's just the building that houses the basketball games. Um yeah, the, the death of GIA, I, I think, is one of the sadder things that we've seen in all of Oklahoma. St- well, that's a bold statement. Um, there have been some very sad and, and tragic things happen throughout Oklahoma State athletics over the years. Um, but GIA turning into what it has turned into, just from a purely sports standpoint, is near the top of the list in, in terms of things that I, I think emotionally impact Oklahoma State fans. Well, and that's what is really going to weigh on Chad Weiberg seeing that building empty for, for men's basketball games. I mean, it's, it's to the point where they, they might be considering the, the black curtain on the, on the top level, just to try to move whoever's there down to, uh, to fill it. Um, I know that's something that wrestling's done in the past to, to great success, but, um, but no, you're right. And I, I think that's, what's going to weigh on Chad Weiberg is once the arena is empty, like there's no decision to be made. Like the decision made for you. Fans fans vote with their with their butts in the seats. Um, there's a lot of candidates that'll come out. I'm sure once once the season's out, and we'll like you said, we'll get to those eventually. But 
Uh, just again, I think the last four games getting blown out in the fashion they have no real light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the same problems keep happening in games they are competitive in. And in the last three, four minutes, they can't get a bucket. And then when it's not that situation, they're getting blown out. So uh, any more thoughts on OSU basketball before we move on? Um, Just kind of one macro thought, rebuilding this thing. I- I've got news. The Thunder are going to be really good for about the next six to eight years, and then we'll see what happens beyond that. Um, you're going to have to build something special to get people to spend their dollars to go to Stillwater instead of to – Breakdown. So, um, yeah, Oklahoma State basketball is in a very difficult place right now. Hopefully, in a few years, it's it's been turned around, and we're having a different conversation. Yeah. Well, we shall see. Uh, some football-related news. Um, we, we haven't talked since OSU hired a new defensive line coach in Paul Randolph. He's a long, long, long timer. Um, he started out at Rice with Todd Graham. He's he's been around a lot of places, but he was most recently at Indiana. He's coached at Texas Tech. Um, kind of a surprise for me. I, I thought Greg Richmond was doing a pretty good job on staff. He's an OSU alum, played it, played under Mike Gundy. Uh, but they've moved on from Greg Richmond to Paul Randolph. And there's just glowing quote after glowing quote from Todd Graham, Bill Blankenship, guys he's been around a lot. So uh, he does have a lot of experience, Colby, and more of the administration side of things. So maybe perhaps that's one reason Mike wanted to bring him on for a more experience and maybe do more administrative work as well. Uh, yeah, there's quotes in here in the Oklahoma story from Todd Dilbeck, who was a longtime high school coach in Oklahoma, he coached at Rice with uh, Randolph for a year. So I'm so excited for Coach Gundy and his program. When I re- met Paul Randolph, he was coming from Alabama to Rice. And let me tell you something, there's not a finer man. He is class. The kids are going to love him. He's a great recruiter. He has an energy level that is second to none. He's an unbelievable family guy, and I think he really fits Oklahoma State. The, the quotes are grow are glowing, one after another, about Paul Randolph. And um, I, I do think Oklahoma State's D-line has been, has been fine, but – I don't know. There, there have been times over the past couple of seasons where Oklahoma State has really gotten gotten gashed in the running game. And, I mean, we saw that first half against BYU. They end up having to bring Kendall Daniels down into the box in the second half to help stop the run. I, I don't know. It's I think it's been a mixed bag on the defensive line over the last, let's call it, three to four years at Oklahoma State. I don't think it was necessary that a change be made. Um, but I think if Mike Gundy looked out and, and saw that this was the guy that he wanted and this opportunity was here and there was a chance to potentially um, upgrade at that spot and, and bring new life to that defensive line, then I will trust Mike Gundy's judgment on that. What, what, what did I say my new mantra was going to be coming out of the fall? In Gundy, we trust. If, if he thinks that's the guy for the job, then um, then I think this is the guy for the job. So in Gundy, we trust. Look at me. I'm, I'm sticking to my homework. There you go. You're, you're sticking to the plan. Um, no, that's a fair point about the D-line, I guess. The more you talked about it, I guess the more that makes sense. I'd, since Jim Bob Clements has moved – uh, from the away from the defensive line, they really haven't been as as good. Certainly, they haven't had like the NFL caliber, you know, mass and size and talent that they used to have. So I'm curious to see if this guy can. My my mantra is: Can he recruit? Can he recruit, Colby? I know that's not a prerequisite to be on OSU staff, but um, if he can recruit really well, then I'm then I'm all for it. But um, who's, who's we, Jim Bob Clements, by the way? Is he related? Is he related to Joe Bob? What did I say? Jim Bob, Jim Bob Clements, Jim Bob, Joe Bob, uh, Freudian slip. I I didn't have my coffee this morning, so I'm I'm on Struggle Street. Thank you for that that clerical error. People would have tweeted at me had I not fixed that. But I've got a question: Are we still making 
Joe Bob's and Jim Bob's. Like that's just an old timey thing, right? Nobody, no, no, no kid well, in preschool right now is going to be called Jim Bob in 20 years, right? Maybe not in 20 years, but OS or uh, Oklahoma's new co-offensive coordinator is Joe John Finley. And he played, he played not that long ago at OU. Yeah, I guess so. I, um, yeah, I just feel like that's a, an older generation thing, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm, I'm not some sort of name expert. I'm just, uh, yeah, no, you're, you're not wrong. Um, it's the shortening for me. Cause you get like, there was, um, this family of brothers that all played basketball at Bishop McGinnis and they all had two first names. It was like John Michael, you know, they, they did the, the Catholic thing. Yep. Yep. So it's when you shorten it, that it makes it a country thing. If you, if you do the full name, like if it was Joseph Robert Clements, would that would that sound better to you? Uh, not particularly. You know what I want to meet? I want to meet a Matthew, Mark, Luke, John Clements. Like I want I want mom and dad to go all the way and just <laughs> go with the four first names. Um, just just full New Testament. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to meet. Uh, one one more name thing while we're on it, and this is totally off subject, but does it drive you crazy? I'm I'm curious if you dealt with this with your wife. When you're going over like names for kids, like coming up with ideas, and they don't like a certain first name because it doesn't flow with the middle name, <laughs> like I don't know anyone's middle name, but they they want the whole name to flow, and I'm like, the only time they even write their middle name is when they're filling out a form. Like, do you does your wife have this obsession with how a name flows from first, middle to last? Um, I wouldn't call it an obsession. It, it was definitely a conversation. We knew that my daughter's initials, daughter or son, we didn't know the gender, uh, whenever we started talking about baby names, we knew that it was going to be LJ because that was my grandpa who had passed. Um, so we knew that the initials were going to be LJ. So that kind of limited where we were at. And then whenever it was a girl, her, her name ended up being Layla Jade and, um, yeah, they, we definitely had some flow conversations. It needed to flow. Layla Jade Powell, like it needed to have the rhythm to it. So yeah, we definitely had that conversation. It's just after they're born, no one will know their middle name other than like their parents and grandparents. That's about we, it. We want to reveal our middle names for the people. Sure. Yours is Jay. Yep. Colby Jackson. That's uh, my grandpa was LJ. His dad was Lawrence Jackson. Uh, my dad's name is Joe. We all have a, a J in our name. So yeah, Colby Jackson Powell. Everybody. I knew that from your Twitter handle, Colby J Powell. So yep. yeah, yep. I was cheating with that guess. Um, my middle name's Wayne. It's my dad's father's name. Uh, so mom got to pick the first name. She went Carson. Dad got to pick the middle name. He named my middle name after his father. So it's a family name and I'm glad mom went out. I mean, Carson Cunningham has served me well being on television. Uh, I, I used to have high school football coaches ask me all the time if, that was a stage name. I was like, no, that's that's on my birth certificate. So mom, mom kind of knew what she was doing. And it was before there was all these Carsons running around. Every time I'd cover a high school football game my last couple of years in TV, there was like four Carsons on each team. I was like, when I was a kid, everyone looked at me like I was a weirdo with that name. Now it's like pretty common. Yeah, Carson became a much more popular name. And the alliteration, definitely, Carson Cunningham, that did you well for TV and, and, and that career. Um do you watch Letterkenny by chance, or have you watched Letterkenny? No, I haven't. I've had friends tell me about it. I just haven't started. I don't even know what it is. The lead character's name is Wayne, and that's all I could think of whenever you said your middle <laughs> name. Um, yeah, Wayne gets said about a million times throughout the course of that show. Wayne just on its surface doesn't hasn't held up well to time, but then like you don't notice it when people are named like Wayne Rooney. Like you don't even think about him being named Wayne. 
it's just like when you think of the name solo by itself it's it's not aged well but then you realize like there's plenty of people named wayne so it's that's funny and, and wayne's the toughest guy in letterkenny so you got that going for you oh there we go yeah that's 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 good for the uh the family name uh we did have other uh football related news Arizona lost their head coach, Jed Fish, the uh, Arizona coach who really did, Colby, I thought one of the best coaching jobs in the nation the last two, three years. I thought he should have been up for every National Coach of the Year award because when he when he got to Arizona, Colby, they were they were trending towards Kansas as far as being one of the worst Power 5 schools in the country. And now he's got them as a preseason top 10 team in the country. But Washington hires him away from Arizona. Oklahoma State obviously plays Arizona next year. Arizona was going to be the highest-rated Big 12 team going into 2024 so a, a big seismic shift in the coaching ranks in the big 12 yeah this was a huge deal and um just a lovely hire from washington to go ahead and take this guy off of our hands because he was phenomenal at arizona like you said that was a bad program just a bad program and he turned it around uh and i'll be curious to see if slash who jumps in the portal i i just googled uh the portal popping up here running back uh, Jonah Coleman entered the portal. Tip, ooh, I'm going to uh, bail on that first name. McMillan, the receiver that we saw have a great game against Oklahoma. He's in the portal. They've got a linebacker, a safety, a corner. Um, looks like the backup quarterback is in the portal. Another corner, a couple DNs. Like they've got some guys. I'm showing 16 guys here in the portal just on this quick Google uh, that popped up. So this is a great hire by Washington. I hope all of those impactful players head to the Northwest. Uh, it's beautiful up there, I've heard. So if any of those guys are listening, it's beautiful up there. You won't have to deal with that Arizona heat. Yeah, this is great news for opponents of Arizona's in the Big 12 because uh, he was kind of building something special there in Arizona. Shout out to Nick Saban for retiring because that started the domino effect that now has Arizona pressing the reset button a little bit. So, yeah, I think really good news for Oklahoma State because Arizona was absolutely going to be one of their top contenders next season in the Big 12, and maybe they still will be, but I think the chances of that um, are objectively smaller now than they would have been had Fish stayed. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kevin Sumlin, his last year, didn't win a game. They were 0-5 during the COVID-shortened season in 2020. Jed Fish won one game his first season, went 1-11. Then he went 5-7, and culminating with the 10-3 and season he had this year. So he he really quickly in just three years turned things around. Uh, that, that's a, a big time job uh, by him. But you know, it's important to note Colby that um, Casey Dunn was apparently on, on the radar for, uh, for Arizona. He was mentioned a few times as a potential head coaching candidate. Um, did that surprise you? Sure. Surprised me. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean, Casey Dunn, I, I think that whenever you, are a fan of a team and you cover a team whenever you're in the everyday ins and outs of it. I, I think we see the failures and the shortcomings of these coaches a lot more often because we're in it all the time. And the things that go bad stand out more than the things that go, that go right. I, I think nationally Casey Dunn's reputation um, is probably a little bit different than what it is in Stillwater because there were a couple of rough years there where Oklahoma State struggled offensively. But I thought Casey Dunn did a pretty good job this year, especially once he knew exactly what he was working with offensively. And I'm actually pretty bullish on Oklahoma State's offense next season with Casey Dunn at the helm. Um, pretty bullish that he's going to figure out how to use Bowman, 
these three receivers that they're going to have, Ollie Gordon, um, five offensive line returning starters. I think Oklahoma State's offense is in a pretty good place with Casey Dunn, and I, I think that maybe we shine light on the negatives more because we're in it every single day, and those things stand out. Um, so I would have been surprised had he gotten the job, for sure, but I'm not surprised that he was on the radar. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I mean, OSU did win double-digit games. I think the perhaps the biggest reason he was on there is – other than, of course, Oklahoma State's success this past season was he, he coached at Arizona from 04 to 06, coached running backs there. So there's some history there between him and Tucson. Uh, he tried to take the UNLV uh, job a few years ago until Mike Gundy talked him back into it. So he, he, sends, he seems to trend more towards the West Coast, kind of a West Coast type of guy. So uh, we'll have to see. But um, that was an interesting note as well. Also, one last football note here. Tyler Foster uh, had some good quotes with the uh, the Oklahoman. Uh, again, I really like this kid, Colby. 6'7", 245, big target, or 250, rather, uh, on, the, on the weight. Uh, coming from, uh, they pulled off the, the Gunner Gundy, we'll call it the Gunner Gundy trade. He's going to Ohio University. Got this big tight end coming in the other, the other direction to Stillwater. But um, again, I, I can maintain that this was the biggest need uh, for Oklahoma State's team on offense by far, tight end. And it, it appears they got a, a talented target who has the size and, and hopefully can make a, an impact similar to Josiah Johnson or even more. Uh, yeah, I thought there were some fun quotes from him in the story. He talked about Gunner, who he met on his visit. Uh, he, he said that he thinks he's going to fit in great at OU. He, he really fits with a lot of the stuff that OU does. And then he talked about the fact that he's having to work on referring to Ohio University as Ohio University instead of OU, because whenever you say those initials in Stillwater, the reaction is, ugh, ugh, gross. Don't say that, please. We don't even want to hear it. So, um, yeah, six foot seven, two hundred forty nine pounds. What he's listed at, he's going to be a, a contender for the starting tight end job for an Oklahoma State offense that I think is going to use that position a little bit across the middle of the field next season because we've seen just the efficiency that this Oklahoma State offense can operate with whenever you're getting Rashad Owens moving down the field, up the sideline. I think Deshaun Stribling is going to do some of those things uh, and then get those guys on some deep posts, Brennan Presley on the edges and on those mesh routes coming underneath. But I think the middle of the field where you can attack with a tight end and, and maybe get some some defenses worrying about some other things, I think that that could be a really important position for Oklahoma State next season. So if Tyler Foster's talent is even close to matching his size, I mean, that is legitimate NFL tight end size. We see guys every year now, rookies, uh, tight ends are becoming more and more valuable in NFL offenses, and they're all just going out there looking like power forwards. It's like it's like every team has a Draymond Green playing tight end, um, except they're not all D-bags, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think Tyler Foster at Oklahoma State, I, I'm fingers crossed that this is a home run get for Oklahoma State. Well, now, I didn't realize this. You know, he had a – he said, quote, there are a lot of – and again, this is a story in the Oklahoma, and he said, quote, there are a lot of commonalities that the tight end role shares between the two teams. One thing I'm focused about at Ohio, the more I played against teams, the more they had an opportunity to game plan against my position. The other tend I was the other tight end I was with at Ohio, he just committed to Ohio State. So not only were there not was there a lack of playmakers around him to where teams could focus on the tight end position, he was also sharing time with a guy who's gonna be at Ohio State next year. That to me, Colby, when you factor in everything OSU has returning on offense, take attention away from him. Um, he might be even better than, you know, the numbers and the, the metrics in terms of his size really indicate. I just did the math on top of my head, and I guess I hadn't really thought about this. That's the only position Oklahoma State's not returning a starter. Josiah yep. John and Braden Cassidy are out the door. 
you're returning your your top three receivers, Owens, Presley, and and Stribling. All five of your offensive linemen. Bowman's back. Gordon's back. Who's tie, Who's the tight end? Um, seems like it might be Tyler Foster. So yeah, all all the things that we're hearing about him are good. And if you hit a home run at that position and you have a legitimate six seven tight end receiving threat, I mean. That's just a, a an embarrassment of riches, assuming health across the Oklahoma State offense. Defensive coordinators, like, it's going to be a nightmare to game plan for everything Oklahoma State is going to be able to do across the entire field. Um, yeah, that's going to be a problem for opposing coaches. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm fired up about him. All right, let's get to the Yingling Toast of the Week, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. What direction are you going with this week, Colby? Yeah, this was a tough one. I was hoping that basketball would give me something, anything to go with. Um, and it wasn't there. I- I'm going to give this guy one last toast, and then I will stop using him as my default toast. Um, really, the season's over now. They lost on Monday to the Bills. Can't say enough about Mason Rudolph in the span of a month, going from a guy who is, I mean, just right on the edge of being out of the league, right? I mean, he was close to being out of the league. He, he was going to go do real estate, go do something else. And now he's got Tony Romo on the broadcast saying, I'm really impressed with the archetype of his career. You know, you expect him to be a career backup and he hadn't been very successful and you put him in and they're riding the hot hand right now. To me, he has developed an archetype like Geno Smith in Seattle. He is for real. And I really wonder if Mason can find a job as a starter somewhere. He made some really good throws over the last month. Um, it wasn't good enough to beat Buffalo. He made one regrettable throw down in the red zone where he threw a pick um, on a comeback route in, in a goal-to-go situation that was pretty brutal. But I think that he'll have a chance, whether it's in Pittsburgh or elsewhere. Um, I don't know if people have looked around the NFL at some of the quarterback play that we've seen, and there were like half the league was missing starters this year. But guys like Mason, they're, they're getting opportunities. And I hope that he gets a chance to compete somewhere for a starting job next year in camp. Um, I would love to see Mason Rudolph have a chance to be a full season starter on just a, a middle of the pack offense in the NFL and just see what happens. Because every time he's gotten a chance in his career, it's been for two or three weeks at a time when somebody else is hurt. And that's a hard way to play a hard way to make a living. And sometimes you just need the right opportunity in the right moment. So um, for the last week and the last time this season, my yingling toast of the week goes to Mason Rudolph. That's a great one. Uh, I think he'll get another chance with the Steelers. We'll see. They're interested in uh, Justin Fields. Uh, Baker Mayfield's going to be on the market. So it's uh, really cool to see Mason shine the way he did. He he was awesome down the stretch and made some big-time throws in, in crunch time, which we hadn't seen him do a lot uh, throughout his career. So he, he really answered the bell in a, in a tough situation, tough weather, all those things. Um, my toast it's got to be the first one to ever go to a Sooner, but let me, let me explain. I, I, I want to give a a heartfelt toast to Ryan Miner, who who lost his battle with, um, I believe it was cancer. Uh, just a horrible, way too young to, to pass away. And you know, I, I mentioned some of my favorite moments in Gallagher Iba. Colby, my favorite ever is Old Gallagher Bedlam. I can't remember the year. I think it was like '95, maybe. Uh, Ryan Miner was injured the week before, and he was caught on TV crying. And they held up this crying Ryan sign and. OSU goes on a literally like a 20 to nothing run at one point. I, th- I thought the roof was going to collapse of Gallagher. O- old Gallagher got so much, it got really loud. Uh, you can argue whether it was louder than the new one. I still think the new one holds up pretty well. But that was one of my favorite games ever because I, I was a big fan of Ryan Miner, even though he played for Oklahoma. He was just an awesome athlete. Obviously, he played baseball as well as everyone knows. 
he became a trivia question replacing Cal Ripken when his his games his consecutive game streak came to an end. But he was also an Oklahoman. Uh, for a kid like me growing up in Oklahoma, seeing a dude got who got drafted in the NBA <laughs> and could play professional baseball, he he was a really great player that you couldn't help admire. Yeah. He was one of those rare players, Colby, that you liked that played on the other side of Bedlam. And I liked him so much. I don't remember asking for this, but I do remember getting it. One of my cousins, Brad Britton from Clinton, Oklahoma, he played football. Uh, he walked on a football for one year and then became a dental student there. He had befriended Ryan and Damon Miner at Oklahoma. Well, my cousin Brad knew I was a huge fan of Ryan, even though I was an OSU fan. And even though Brad's an OU guy going to school there, he somehow convinced Ryan and Damon Miner to sign an Oklahoma State hat. So for Christmas one year, I got an OSU hat signed by Ryan and Damon Miner. I have to be the only one in the world that had one of these things. And uh, and it's also, too, I, I liked them as well because my dad told this story. People that follow OSU baseball and that have been around as long as he is will have to confirm it. I, I trust my dad's word on this, but some people may dispute this. But apparently Ryan and Damon were big OSU fans, and they wanted to go play baseball for Gary Ward. And obviously Ryan would have played basketball with Eddie Sutton. But apparently Gary Ward only wanted Ryan. He didn't want Damon. Well, Damon ends up being, you know, an all-conference player, played in the big leagues. That was a huge mistake, and they would have gotten both of them. Uh, so that's kind of a great – that's kind of one of, the, one of the bigger what-ifs in OSU history. What if Ryan Miner's on that 95 Final Four team that OSU had with Big Country and Randy Rutherford? Think they might have won a national title? Uh, I think they would have, or at least challenged for it. Um, so I, I want to give a toast to, to Ryan Miner and his family. I, I want to send my condolences to them because he was a – Oklahoma legend, who I thought was one of the most likable Sooners in the uh, Bedlam rivalry. Yeah, that's a good one. He's also forever a big-time sports trivia question answered. You know to what I'm referring. You you must not have been listening to me. I referenced that. Did you? Okay, I must have been. Uh, I must have been googling because I knew that I I had read this story. Uh, it happened what. Um... Was it December? Yeah, just before Christmas when he passed, and we didn't get to it then, so I'm glad that you circled back and got to it because he is an Oklahoma legend. Um, honestly, it was just a little before my time, so it didn't it didn't ring the same for me, but I know uh, group text that I'm in, whenever he passed, uh, I mean, those guys spent half a day just talking, just like texting Ryan Minor memories, and I was like, oh, wow, this, this guy must have been a really big deal, and then I gave him a Google and uh, read up on some of his stuff, and then saw that he was the one that replaced Ripken, and yeah, that's a that's a good one. A lot of a lot of memories there, and an Oklahoma legend. Yeah, that was that was pretty uh, sad story. Uh, feel for him and 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 everyone involved. So, uh, anything else before we get out of here, Colby? I don't believe so. I think um, we're gonna have like what two days of above freezing weather before we go back down into the twenties. So, oh, uh, you wanted to mention. The South Alabama coach who went into Stillwater and blew the doors off Oklahoma State, he got hired uh, as a defensive coordinator at Alabama, right? Yeah, uh, Alabama, D.C., and it looks like Caleb DeBoer is going to poach Buffalo's head coach as well. These are coaches that were making less than a million dollars as head coaches at South Alabama and at Buffalo. Alabama's coordinators last year were making almost $2 million. The amount of money flowing at the top of college football is just so insane. Like he's just going and getting head coaches at the division one level who've had success, um, who are valuable, who people like. And the reality is the Alabama DC job, it's just a way better job than the South Alabama head coaching job, because you're never going to go from South Alabama head coach to top 25 program in the country. 
head coach. There's, there's got to be stops in between. But if you're a good Alabama D.C., there's a top 25 program that will hire you to come be the head coach. You could be the next Kirby Smart as the Alabama D.C. Who, who knows uh, what it'll be like in the post-Saban era. But I just think the um, the evolution of college football and what we're seeing with so much money, especially now in the SEC and the Big Ten, I think assistant coach salaries are going to be an under discussed thing in this new era of college football because the Big Ten and the SEC are going to have so much money and assistant coaches are so valuable that whenever you have all the good ones, uh, it just makes a huge difference. And those conferences and those schools at the top are just going to be able to pay assistants so much money to come hang out there for a few years before they get their own head coaching job. So, um, yeah, I just thought that those were some interesting dominoes to fall in the wake of the Saban retirement. Well, it certainly makes it more understandable why um, OSU's offense got shut down. The guy clearly knew what he was doing. And I remember some of the South Alabama players after that game saying, we knew exactly what plays they were running, uh, nothing different than film. And he obviously had those guys really well prepared to hold OSU. I believe it was to like 205 total yards <laughs> at home. Uh, so he he clearly knew what he was doing. Were you, were you surprised by the Kalen DeBoer hire? I mean, I know he had a, his, his career record is off the charts. Uh, I had it. I had it earlier, but kind of a weird fit. Like I know they probably wanted um, Dan Lanning from um, Oregon. He obviously coached at, at Georgia as well. Was a GA at Alabama. I I understand he's he's a hundred and four and twelve as a head coach is Kalen DeBoer. Now he's coached at you know uh, Sioux Falls, Southern Illinois, Fresno State, Indiana. He's been a head coach at Fresno State, Washington, and Alabama now. Uh, so he basically had two unbelievable years at Washington and a nine and three season at Fresno State uh, that is landed him the Alabama job. If I'm an Alabama fan, like great uh, coach as of late, I'm a little worried that he's kind of a flash in the pan type because he doesn't have a really long track record. Yeah, I, I think that um, he's a little bit of an unknown in college football because he's new to come on. Um, I might have even been calling him Caleb. I'm not sure. Like he's not. He's not a household name. This isn't Dabo. Like, if Nick Saban retires two years ago, imagine the momentum for Dabo to Bama. And then it happens this year, and Alabama fans are videoing themselves chanting uh, anyone but Dabo whenever Saban retired. It's just – and Dabo's 54 years old. He's not not some old man out here coaching. And I don't know. I just don't know that there were any just overly obvious candidates – for this job, like I, I understand why they don't want Dabo. He's still not using the portal. Um, Norvell down at Florida State. I, I don't know. It's just I don't think that there was someone that was just an overwhelming like this guy has succeeded. He has absolutely maxed out where he's at. Alabama is the place to be. I just don't think that there was an obvious guy. And if you're looking for kind of the next hot thing, maybe it is Kalen DeBoer. So, um. I mean, like you said, his his stops have not been at places like the likes of Alabama, but he's a winner. The guy knows how to coach winning football. When he was at Fresno State playing against um, comparable competition, he won. Then he went to Washington playing against comparable competition, he won. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a, a good hire, um, certainly in a cycle where I don't think that there was anybody that was just overwhelmingly like, this is the guy you have to have. Yeah, I mean, I was – 1000% convinced it was going to be Dabo. Uh, not this time around, just we'd always talked about, you know, if Saban retires, obviously they would just hire Dabo, but his, he brings a lot of, 
headache in a lot of ways. He doesn't really believe in the portal and uh, amongst other things. So he kind of took himself out with that. I was shocked by the reaction from Alabama fans. I didn't know he was that hated there, but clearly that would not have been met uh, kindly. So um, anything else, Colby, before we get out of here? Uh, I don't believe so. Good stuff. What uh, What's Oklahoma State got this weekend? I actually didn't look at the schedule moving forward because things have been so brutal. Oh, I meant to, I'll look that up, but I meant to ask you if you felt the earthquakes over the weekend. I uh, felt one, yes. I felt the one that happened at, what was it, like 9.30, 9.45, probably yeah. Friday or Saturday evening. How many did you feel? They they originated in Edmond, right? Yeah, two. We're in kind of West Edmond. Um, the first one was just one little jolt or one big jolt that felt like someone kind of ran into the house with a car. The second one felt like a full-blown California-style earthquake, and I happened to be standing up, and I, I literally ducked into a doorway because that's what you're supposed to do just instinctually. Uh, that's how scared I was. And the most hilarious part of this, I guess it's not that funny, but we, we watched, uh, uh, our, my stepdaughters wanted to watch a Cinderella story. It's got like Hillary Duff and Chad Michael Murray. It's, uh, it's basically like a modern day Cinderella. Well, the first scene, there's an earthquake and her dad gets killed in an earthquake. And the girls had just watched this movie. And they come running in, you know, just distraught about this earthquake. And I'm like, what are the odds? Like, I haven't felt an earthquake in years. What are the odds we watch this silly movie and it's now like traumatized the, the kids, the girls. So that that was that was not funny. That was that was kind of scary. Yeah, the odds of that are insane. And that's a perfect age for your girls to just be terrified after seeing that and then feeling an earthquake. Um, I don't think I felt one since the the big one in the fall. But, like, we woke up that morning to the earthquake before we were going to some big Oklahoma State football game. That was, I don't know, four or five years ago was probably the last time I felt one. So, yeah, I felt it. My wife didn't feel it. Um, but, yeah, by the way, Oklahoma State at Kansas State this Saturday at 6 p.m. So, Oof. hopefully they can travel on Friday, maybe, if they're lucky, and get to Manhattan the day before. Um, yeah, and then TCU at home next Tuesday. The following Saturday, West Virginia at home. And then this month, Oklahoma State still travels to Lawrence. So, if you thought that uh, Oklahoma State was getting off the hook with one Jayhawk beatdown in the months of January, you were mistaken. They will play them again in 13 days in Lawrence. Another 8 o'clock tip for that one, too. Uh, that won't be a fun night. Brutal. 8 p.m. next Tuesday as well. All these 8 p.m. Tuesdays. I just, man, I, I'm not a fan. I, I think everybody knows where I stand on late kicks. Uh, <laughs> pretty much the same about late tips, especially whenever you're you're getting drummed most of the time that you take the court. Yeah. All right, Colby. Appreciate it. We'll get back with you later. Yep. Great stuff. Appreciate everyone listening as always. Have a great week. Go folks.